text, it's easy to forget the emotions of the passage that we are reading, to forget that these were real people in a real time. And you'll see as you're turning there that this is a very familiar passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. So before we get into it, I just want to remind us of the context. It's the night before Jesus would go to the cross. It's the Last Supper, the last time he would be sharing a meal with his disciples. And uh, before we get into our passage, what's, what's happened just before that is they've all been sitting down, probably shared a glass of wine. And Jesus, suddenly he gets up and he starts washing their feet. Now guys, this is not something that, it's not a moment where you would have sat back. They were in chairs, so they were kind of reclining. Jesus starts washing your feet. It's not a moment where you go, this is a dinner now. Got a bit of wine, we're going to have some food, a little foot rub. (laughs) It wasn't that at all. This would have been one of the most awkward moments of their life. In that culture... Not even equals washed each other's feet. It was normally a non-Jewish slave that would wash your feet. Never the host, never a rabbi, and definitely not the Messiah. And as you know the story, Peter, he reacts violently to it. He said, Jesus, you can't do this. Don't touch my feet. And Jesus obviously goes on to illustrate a beautiful act of love, a servant-heartedness that he would want all of us to follow. But I want you to stay with the emotions that was already sort of circling in the room. They would have all settled down a bit, but there was this awkwardness. Their heads would have been spinning at what just happened. And now we hit our passage, and we're reading from verse 21. It should also come up behind me as well. So after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another. They didn't know who he was speaking about. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, we would see that that's most likely John who wrote this. He was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter, he would have been on the other side of the table. He motioned to John, ask him who he is. Ask him, who, who is it? And so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it? So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, he was telling him about what we need for the feast or they should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And it was night. Remember that phrase, we're going to come back to it later. It's it's a critical phrase for this passage, and it was night. But for now, let me pray for us, and we'll get into it. Father, we, we ask that you would help us as we look at this passage, a passage that for so many of us is so familiar to us. But God, I pray that this morning you will do a deep work in each of our hearts. There is truth in here that we all desperately need to hear this morning. God, I pray that by your spirit you would, you would bring about and stir faith in our hearts this morning. Stir hope in our hearts this morning, Jesus. That you would do what only you can do, Jesus. Help me, Lord, to be faithful to your word. Give me the strength to speak your truth lovingly and faithfully. And God, I pray that all of our hearts will be open to hear what you want to say to us this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 
one of you will betray me. I think it's hard for us to understand the weight of those words. These 12 men had lived together for three years, had ministered together, had privately had, no doubt, arguments and issues that would have been then resolved. They would have wept together. They would have laughed together, shared so many meals together. They would have felt like they were living the literal dream, walking with the promised Messiah. Now their rabbi, their savior, looks at them and says, one of you will betray me. Do you see in this text, they didn't have a clue who it was. There was no one who they were kind of going, ah, it's that guy, isn't it? We knew it. It was always him. They didn't have a clue. And so what that means is that they didn't know whether it was maybe them. Is it me? That statement, friends, was a knife in their heart. Judas would eventually leave, and you can see how they still didn't know it was Judas. We'll see a bit later why they would never have suspected him. But Jesus would go on that evening to tell them that he was going to be leaving them, that he would no longer be with them, the man that they literally left everything for, and not just some great teacher that they could replace, the promised Messiah of the world, meant to save and rescue Israel and redeem all people. He would then later break bread with them. We know there's communion today, and we, we do it often, and we are grateful, and we remember the cross. But for them, this was Jesus saying to them, this is my blood that is going to be shed for you. This is my body that's going to be broken, friends, do you understand how their framework was literally shattering with every word that Christ was speaking to them? The emotions that would have been reeling in that room. Confusion, despair, anger maybe, a feeling of betrayal. The darkness of that night wasn't just coming over Christ. It was coming over them as well. And friends, this morning maybe some of us find ourselves in a dark season in a moment of darkness. Maybe some of us are facing some circumstances or some realities, some turmoil it's deep in our soul, a struggle with sin that we just feel like we aren't winning, some deep betrayal or hurt or pain or suffering. And for you, you feel like maybe you're at the point where the darkness is slowly swallowing you up the way these disciples would have felt. It seemed like Satan was winning in that moment. Like his hour was maybe going to be a lifetime. And maybe that's how some of you feel this morning, if you're honest with yourself. I start this morning like this because often we can come in numb to church and we can just tick the box. Even though our hearts may feel so cold or shattered. Or we may feel so disillusioned. And I hope God, by his grace, is... Is causing you to go there. Maybe you don't even want to go there. But just to help you see the reality. Or maybe for some of you, this moment is God's grace for you because tomorrow the bottom is going to fall out or next week or next month or next year. And this is by God's grace preparing you for what is coming. And so friends, when I look at this passage, 
what I see, one of the main encouragements I see for us then, and what I want to hold out for us this morning is this truth. Christian, don't lose hope in the dark seasons of your life. Don't lose hope in the dark season of your life. You see, it's an encouragement this morning, but it's also a warning. Do you see that? It's warning us that we will face dark seasons. We will face turmoil and hard things and suffering and pain and be disillusioned and disappointed. And in those moments, we will be tempted to what? To lose hope. We will be tempted to unbelief. We will be tempted to doubt the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the sufficiency of Christ. But friends, the truth is that our dark seasons don't have to define us and they don't have to consume us if we are in Christ. That's the good news this morning. That if you find yourself in a dark season, or when you find yourself next day, remember this truth, that this season, this moment, doesn't have to define you, and it definitely doesn't have to consume you, because you are in Christ. Things may go from bad to worse, and it did for the disciples. It did for Jesus. Satan was having his moment. But remember that God set the boundaries of that moment. And God sets the boundaries of every one of our moments, every hour of darkness, every season. God maintains control. God maintains control, friends. And we know that that glorious Sunday came when sin, Satan, and death was defeated. So don't lose hope, friends, in the dark seasons of your life. It's a truth that this text is shouting to us. But what is the reason then that it gives us? Why shouldn't we lose hope? Why not just give up? Why not just go numb? Why not just go into survival mode and just try and sort of keep it together? And I believe there are two things here that this text is going to help us with. And the first one is this. Don't lose hope in the dark seasons of your life because firstly, Jesus is in the thick of your darkness. Jesus is in the thick of your darkness. He is not distant. He is not removed from your pain or your suffering or your struggle against sin. Friends, he is there with you in that moment. He feels and knows exactly what it is actually to be you in this dark moment, in these dark seasons. Verse 21, we see there after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, he was disturbed. He was, had turmoil in the depth of his soul. He knows what it is, friends, to suffer. Now, why was he troubled here? I believe there's three things. First of all, he was troubled because of the deep betrayal he was about to experience from Judas. Oh, it's so easy to read these stories and, and to feel like there was just a strategy being played out here. Like Jesus was just in that moment saying, Judas, you know, you know what you've got to do? Okay, so you can get on with it. Peter, later, it's going to be a tough time, but it's okay. You'll come back. Tomorrow, guys, I've got a bit of a moment, but in three days' time, I'll see you then. We're all good. Friends, this wasn't some strategy that he was just playing out. Jesus later would be in the garden, sweating drops of blood, pleading with God. Is there not another way? If this is the way, I'll do it, but is there not another way? Friends, this was real. Christ was feeling every emotion. 
And so he felt everything of that deep betrayal of a man he deeply loved, a man he had poured his life into. He had walked with and ministered with and empowered for ministry. A man he loved. Secondly, he was troubled because he was watching a man he loved be consumed by darkness, be consumed by his own sin and by Satan. Jesus was literally going to the cross to save sinners. But a man closest to him was choosing to reject that mercy. It would have broken his heart, friends. And thirdly, Jesus felt the emotions in the room. He saw the look on the faces of each one of these men he so greatly loved. And he felt the depth of their suffering, of their hurt, of their disillusionment more than they were even feeling it. Never, never believe that Jesus doesn't know what it is to be you in your darkest moments. Hear that? Jesus was fully man and yet also fully God. And therefore he experienced the depth of human depravity, the weight of Satan's temptations and lies being thrown at him day after day, tempting him to sin and to walk away from his mission. Friends, Jesus knows what it is to feel pain and betrayal and hurt and disappointment. He knows what it is to be tempted to want to give up and to want to walk away, to be tempted with every possible emotion that you have ever been tempted with. He knows the depth of it, friends, the depth of suffering. He knows what it is to bleed for those he loves and to then watch them reject that love. Don't think for a moment that Jesus doesn't know. Oh, he knows. He knows you more than you know yourself, and he knows those dark moments and those dark seasons more than you will ever realize. He's in the thick of the darkness with you. He's there right with you. Later on in John 14.1, he would encourage his disciples to not be troubled in spirit at all these things that he was telling them. And what he was trying to say was, I know these are hard things I'm telling you. I know that what I'm telling you is that you're going to face trouble and you're going to feel maybe like I'm not there. But know that I'm there. Know that I'm actually going to be closer to you than I am right now sharing this meal with you. And that's what he would say to you and I this morning, friend. I am closer to you by my spirit because of the Holy Spirit that lives in you. I am closer with you in the thick of your darkness more than I was that night sharing that meal with my disciples. I am with you. I will not leave you. And I have not abandoned you. I have not left you as an orphan. I have not left you to deal with this yourself. I am with you in the thick of your darkness. Friend, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope in the dark seasons of life because Jesus is there with you. Secondly, don't lose hope because Jesus is not just with you in the darkness. He is the way through your darkness. Jesus is the way through your darkness. It's the truth we all need to hear this morning. 
John ends off this section, and I said we'd come back to it in verse 30. And he writes there, and it was night. He didn't just say that to remind us that it's not day. <laughs> it was night. He was speaking to the hour of darkness that was coming upon Christ and the disciples. Jesus would later speak to this in Luke 22 about Satan's moment, Satan's hour of darkness. And John Piper, he paraphrases it like this, speaking as Jesus, this is your hour, but it's not your century. It's not your decade or your year or your month or your week. God has appointed the boundaries of your hour, darkness, and it will last until Sunday morning. And then I'm coming out, and I will break the chains of death. I will dispel the darkness. I will nullify the power of Satan, and my redeeming work will be finished. All the sins of my people will be paid for. All my father's wrath against his elect will be satisfied. The judgment and condemnation of my church will be over, and a flawless, gorgeous robe of righteousness will be completed for my bride. Friends, because of the cross... Because of what Jesus did on the cross and because he rose again, there is no season of darkness, no matter how long it may last, that can consume those who are in Christ. Do you hear that this morning? No matter whether it lasts a day, a month, a year, a decade, there is no season of darkness that God in his sovereignty has ordained that can consume or remove you from Christ because of what Jesus has done. And so that means there is hope. There is hope for you and me this morning. There is hope for you next week, next month, next year, 10 years from now, when you enter a dark moment, a dark season, friends. There is hope as you struggle against sin. There is hope as you deal with suffering and pain and sickness and disappointment and disillusionment and failure and loss and tragedy. There is hope. There is hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is your way through your darkness. Know that today and remember that tomorrow and next month and next year. Jesus and Jesus alone is our way through the darkness. He guaranteed that the moment he rose from the dead, finishing the work, defeating ultimately Satan's power over his chosen ones. And as much as there may be moments now, and maybe you're in that moment where you feel as if it is consuming you, the promise is that it won't because Christ has got you and he will bring you through. He's not just sitting with you like a close friend saying, I'm here with you, but I don't really know how you're going to get out of this. He is sitting there saying, I am your way through this. Trust me. Believe me. Trust me. We see, even in this text, friends, the hand of mercy was shown to Judas, offering him a way out. And I never realized this. When John asked Jesus, who is it? That was a private moment they were having. Jesus, Jesus could have just turned to John and said, it's Judas. It's Judas, but he didn't. What did he do? He took the first piece of his meal off his plate, and he dipped it called a sop, and he gave it to Judas. It means that da Vinci's wrong, and Judas would have been sitting next to Christ, most likely, friends. In a place of honor, 
and friendship. And Jesus in that moment, in that final moment, was reaching his hand out to Judas in a final moment, a final act of mercy. Because when the host would give that first bite off his plate, he was honoring the man to whom he would give it to. And in that moment, he was honoring Judas. He was blessing him. He was declaring favor and friendship and love over him. What was happening, friends, in this dark moment? Jesus was offering him mercy. And Judas rejected it. Judas rejected it. And the darkness consumed him. And he ended his life lonely, guilt-ridden, hanging from a tree. Friends, Peter, later that night, would deny Christ also. But by God's grace, the darkness didn't consume him. And we see later, when he would see Jesus on the beach, he was the first one to jump out of that boat. It was a beautiful illustration of just how he had believed there was still mercy and hope for him. I plead with you this morning. Be like Peter, not like Judas. All of us have some Judas in us, and all of us have some Peter in us. We all have that pride, that arrogance. Even after Peter was told what he would do, he had so much pride that he, he didn't even believe that that was even possible. All of us have that unbelief in our heart, especially in the dark seasons of our life, where we feel or we think that we need to deal with this on our own terms, in our own ways, and that we need to be our way through this, or someone else, or something else needs to get us through this. No, church, Jesus is our way through. Come to Jesus. He is in the thick of it with you, and he is your only way through. Remember that in those dark nights of your soul, that Jesus is your way through. Call out to God, cry out to God, declare that truth, that Jesus, you have promised me that you are not just with me, but that you will bring me through this. And he will. I can guarantee you, he will. That's the good news, friends. That's why there is hope. Because that's who he is. Don't lose hope today. There is a way through. Don't lose hope because Jesus is in the thick of it with you and he's your way through. Some of us need to repent this morning of unbelief and just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that just I stopped believing you were enough and I've gone to other things or other people. But it's you, Jesus. It's only you, Jesus. Friends, God knows many of us in this room Maybe close to losing hope. <laughs> to be honest, it feels like this whole world is in a dark season at the moment. <laughs> and some of us may get there tomorrow, a year from now. If we're not there today. And I want you to remember Christ. I want you to remember Christ. That He is with you. And that He alone is your way through. 
He is the reason that I can stand up today and preach hope. Not because of some philosophy, because of some strategy we try, because of a person, Jesus Christ. There is hope today for you. Do you hear that? There is hope today for you. There's hope today for your loved ones. There's hope today for your neighbor. There's hope today for every person suffering out there, being strangled by the depths of pain and sin and Satan. There is hope today. Maybe you're sitting here as an unbeliever, feeling chained by your own sin, in your own darkness, separated from God. There's hope for you today, and that person is Jesus Christ. And he's your only way through. And friends, he's our only way through. I want us to see that these last few weeks, God has been doing something. God has been stirring faith in us, church. He's been stirring hope in us. A few weeks ago, we heard of his heart towards us. How he is gentle and lowly in heart. Do you know how that helped me look at this passage differently to how I'd ever seen it? Knowing that that was the heart that Christ would have approached his disciples and Judas with. That is who he is to you. He comes to you with gentleness and love and mercy. Saying, come to me as you are. Find hope in me. We heard that now he is the bread of life. How we don't go to him just for the gifts he can give. But that he himself is who we need. That he himself is sufficient for us. Enough for us. We heard last week how he is our older brother who gives himself up for us, who gives everything for us. And today we have heard how he will never leave us nor forsake us and that he is our way through. Don't miss what Christ is saying to you, church. Let hope arise this morning. Allow God to stir faith in your heart again. To believe him again. That's what he was spending hours trying to encourage his disciples to. To keep hope alive. To keep trusting him. And after saying much to them, trying to encourage them to not lose hope, he lands at John 16.33. And that's where I want to land this morning. When he says to them, I've said these things to you. Hard things. So that in me, you may have peace. I've said all these things to you, the hard things, the encouraging things, so that in what? In who? In Jesus, you may have peace. What is that peace? That you may have assurance that when everything is falling around, falling down around you, when the storms seem to be getting bigger, not smaller, in me, in me, in me, you can have peace and assurance and security knowing that I've got you and I've got this. In the world, you will have trouble. You will have dark seasons. You will suffer. You will have hard times and suffer loss and failure and disillusionment even. But take heart. Don't lose hope. Why? Because I have overcome the world. I have dealt with it. And the dark seasons don't have to define you. 
and they don't have to consume you. Believe in me. Remain in me. Draw near to me. Friends, this is such good news. Jesus is such good news for our wearied souls. Receive that this morning and believe again that Jesus is enough. Let me pray for us. Jesus, Lord, I pray this morning, God, that, Lord, you would expose all of our hearts, God, for some of us who have gone numb and into survival mode. I pray that, as hard as it may have been this morning, that we have realized again the realities that we are facing. But that I pray that with that, the good news has just washed over every soul here. That, Jesus, we are not alone in this. That you are in the thick of it with us. That we do not have a high priest, a savior who's unable to get us. That you get us, Jesus. You know us. You know what it is to be us. And that you are with us. Thank you, Jesus, for the truth that this morning you are not disillusioned with any one of us. Because you get us. You understand our struggles. You understand our emotions. You understand our pains. And that you are with us. And that what you want us to hear this morning is that you and you alone are the way through. So Jesus, I pray this morning that you will become the vision for our life, Jesus. Not a better circumstance. Not a, a different future or a different marriage, or a different anything, that you, Jesus, will become the vision for our life. That you, Jesus Christ, will become our hope, our security, our identity, our satisfaction, our joy, that we will find it in you and you alone, Jesus Christ. That Jesus, thank you for the truth that the darkness will never, ever, has to define us, and similarly it will never consume us if we are in you. But the opposite truth of that is that you, Jesus Christ, I pray this morning that you define us, and that you consume us, Jesus. Consume us, Jesus Christ. Burn away everything that is not of you, every thought that is not of you, every feeling that is not of you. Expose the lies, expose how we have structured and, and caricatured you in our hearts and our minds, Jesus. And let us see clearly this morning, you, Jesus, as you are, with your heart for us, your love for us, your mercy to us. And how you are standing, ready to receive us, to help us. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for the good news this morning. We love you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friends. There's some lovely tea and coffee. Please don't rush off. We'd love to chat and...